And we're live for another episode of Athletic Insight. Athletic Insight is a resource for youth sports athletics, coaches, organizations, and parents looking to get a glimpse in, in behind the scenes of elite athletics. We're joined here by uh, Reese Larry and Chris Colley. Reese, do you want to just quickly go over your sports background, introduce yourself, and then Chris, uh, same thing? Well, thanks again for having me, Zach. It's, uh, it's good to be back. Um, so basically, uh, as, as you know from the last time, um, grew up in Brockville, Ontario, got the chance to play a ton of uh, youth sports growing up, um, primarily basketball, football, soccer, and hockey. And, uh, you know, later on in life, as we got later on in high school, I uh, had the opportunity to go play basketball afterwards at Acadia University, um, where mm-hmm. I spent five years there uh, and had a great time and, and really enjoyed myself being able to play basketball uh, at the youth sport level in Canada. Perfect. And Chris? Yeah, so, uh, so my athletic background is track and field. Uh, I went to the University of Western Ontario, uh, was the captain there for uh, the final two years uh, uh, in, in university. Uh, main sports was uh, high jump, the 400, uh, as well as the 4 by 2 And then I've also done uh, the pentathlon for my last few years. So that was the main focus. And then um, in high school, uh, I did teach Reese a few things on the basketball court, like uh, how to get threes drained on him. Um, <laughs> and then, but the main focus was track and field. Yes, absolutely. Tra- uh, track was definitely Chris's go-to sport. And uh, I definitely liked watching him in high school with the high jump. I was fascinated because I couldn't get over 138 in grade eight and decided to hang it up. So it was not my forte. But uh, Reese, you mentioned, and, and Chris as well there, but Reese, you had mentioned there growing up the diverse, diversification of your youth sports background. Um, when you were playing youth sports in Brockville, did you, did you start to get a, a sense for the different cultures and subsets of cultures um, with sport, uh, from sport to sport, sorry? Yeah, no, I think honestly um... – Playing in, in so many different sports as, as possible was my goal growing up. And I think you learn so much from fulfilling different roles within different sports. Uh, and with that comes different responsibility and, you know, different capacity you have to fill as an athlete. And obviously when you, when you branch from sport to sport, there's going to be, there's going to be different expectations on you as to, okay, how are you going to grow from this experience? Um, so yeah, as I, you know, navigated through many different experiences. You know, I, I learned a lot about character from so many different coaches across so many different sports. And, you know, also being able to, to play and compete with so many different teammates um, really allowed me to, you know, have success and be able to play at the next level and be prepared for everything that came at me uh, when I got there. For sure. And Chris, do you have anything to add? Uh, well, I think that it kind of covers it. I, I... I think that the main thing for me and the difference between me and Reese would be uh, that I was playing, I I focused on a lot of individualized sports uh, specifically with track and field. I mean, you do have the relays, uh, but other than that, you're really competing against yourself uh, where Reese has more of the team background where you have to work with, you know, other people. Uh, Obviously in track and field, you are, um, you know, training with one another to make each other better. But at the end of the day, you're really competing against everybody. Um, including yourself. So I think that would be the main cultural difference too, where you've got the collective team sports versus the individualistic sports that I tended to focus on. Right. And there was in, even with, within that, Chris, was there anything specific that drove you culturally toward, towards that, um, that you versus you aspect? Cause that's, 
that's something that culturally doesn't necessarily exist in all team sports. There's individuals within teams who have the you versus you attitude. And, you know, that's the guy who's in the weight room extra. And that's the guy who's doing the extra sprints. But then, like you said, you've gravitated towards that your whole life with playing individual sports. Yeah. So I don't know if, I don't know if that would be any, I think that's just a personality trait compared to, uh, I I always liked, you know, team sports. I I mean, I always played basketball and I, I played hockey and, but I think that the sports that I really liked were, you know, track and field and golf, which are, is where you're competing against yourself. And I, maybe that's just, uh, you know, and if you're an, an introvert or an extrovert, I, I think that I kind of right. lean towards being more of an introverted person than extroverted. So it might be something to do with that. Uh, not that I like didn't enjoy, you know, team sports. I still like them and realize probably one of the more fun aspects of being in track and field. But I think that uh, I think it has a lot to do with, I really like I'm competitive against myself rather than competitive mm-hmm. against, um, you know, other people. So I think that's why I tended to gravitate towards, um, you know, sports and sports cultures that were more individualized. That makes a lot of sense. And that was very well explained. But but Reese, me and you had talked about um, earlier in the week um, that you had noticed when you were playing sports growing up. Um, on some of the teams in some of the sports, you were the guy and in other teams, you took a little bit of a lesser role and that kind of pushed you in a certain way and, and, and challenged you in a different way to, to take on different roles within different types of sports and as an extension culture. So what do you want to just like touch base on, on that a little bit further and elaborate? For sure. So Coley brought up a good point there where I think oftentimes, you know, even when you are on a team sport, I have a, a takeaway from his message where he talked about, you know, looking yourself in the mirror and wanting to compete against yourself. And there's times when you maybe don't have as big of a role as, as maybe you'd ideally like, but you have to recognize that you can put in the work and, and take steps towards that. So I think it's a blessing when you are faced with a little bit of adversity playing, you know, a sport that might not be your, your primary sport because you learn that climb. Um, and not to say that that doesn't happen in your main sport as well, uh, because, you know, absolutely in my situation, especially at the university level, I, uh, you know, you walk in as a first year and it's, you have a lot of, you have a lot of, have a lot of growing to do. So I don't, I think I said this a lot on the last, the last time I was on your podcast, but I look at all of those experiences where, you know, you might not be the go-to guy or, or have, you know, as much opportunity as you, as you'd like, but, there's so much you can take from that experience and remembering how that feels and, you know, and wanting to make improvements, you know, throughout the course of your athletic journey. Absolutely. And I think, um, as we've all discussed, the three of us have had very different experiences within our university, uh, our university athletic careers or student athlete careers. Um, Chris, you want to just like try to paint us a little picture of what the, the environment was like, what was there any culture specifically, um, unique to Western that you hadn't uh, been exposed to at TIS or did TIS do a really good job building culture within? Actually, I think it's surprising how similar, and I, I don't know if this is just chance. I think just because TIS does have a, a rather large track team and is historically pretty, pretty good. Um, I'd say that it was very similar cultures um, going into it. I mean, we had roughly the, the same size, uh, of a team. I mean, there's, a, I think there was like 110 or 115 athletes at Western total, if you include um, the long distance athletes. Uh, now the cultures kind of mm-hmm. break down because we have event groups. So you have the jumpers in, in one specific group. Um, you have the throwers in another, 
Um, you would have the sprinters in the third group, and then you'd have the longer and the middle distance runners in, in a subset of group. So the fourth group that um, now I, I, what I would say, and then you had me as a pent pentathlete where, you know, I was jumping throughout every single group of athletes. So, you know, I got to experience each one of those. And it, it, I think it is pretty surprising even when you, so I know that the whole podcast is to break down different sports cultures amongst each other. But even when you break down even track into, you know, smaller subsets, right. you're, you're going to get a, a very, it's surprising how different people's personalities are from even mm -hmm. jumpers to long distance runners to sprinters. Uh, so I would say, you know, the culture of a long distance runner is, I mean, you have to have a different attitude going into the sport. You're going to, you're going to treat it differently. And the sprinters aren't going for, yeah. you know, for yeah. an hour and a half runs every day. It's a, it's a lot different mental attitude. And the sprinters, and you can you can really sense the different culture being in those environments. Yeah, I can. I really relate to that um, now that you mention it, because like obviously football is is a sport yeah football would be very there's, similar. Yeah, ex, there, there's ex, yeah like extremes. Like we got the O linemen that might be like your throwers and and track, and then your sprinters, which might be like your receivers and your running backs and receivers. So I think there might even be some some similarities uh, like that for sure. Um, like for example. I would imagine, you know, I was training with, I would have liked to train with a guy like you in the off season, Chris, um, as a football player, because you have that sprint, sprint background, but we have a similar body type too. Yeah. So Reese, is that, does that um, uh, sound anything familiar to you with basketball or is it more just one, one main group? Well, I think, you know, the, the great thing about certainly growing up is you play sports with so many different people and your teammates are kind of the same on every team. But I, but I think at university you spend every day with, with your teammates. So you become so close. So there isn't that gap that you're talking about in terms of training groups and, and different, um, you know, sort of sections of the team with regards to track and field. Um, so, you know, I think at the basketball university level, you know, you're, you're sort of all, all doing the same things at, at once and you become so close because of that. Yeah, I definitely think there's there's I mean, you've both heard the expression like suffer together, succeed together. And, and what do you guys think about like that concept? I just remember um, it being used a lot, just even playing hockey, Chris, just the bag skating and the stuff that you have to do when instead of just doing it for the sake of doing it. Yeah, we need to be in condition. I really like the coaches that put like put some like meaning into it. Like we're going to suffer now and this sucks, but we're going to succeed later and that's a big part of creating culture when you're starting from scratch yeah one thing i'll say is i really liked i really liked battling and uh you know overcoming you know things that were really hard with my teammates like i don't think there's any better feeling than like accomplishing something so you know i welcome you know being pushed and and you know pushed us out of your comfort zone in order to to grow in that sense so i think that's one thing i miss being out of sport is being able to you know, be in that athletic setting where that's kind of your on your plate every day. Um, mm -hmm. But I, but I mean, Chris, you might have different stories in your sense because obviously your training probably differs throughout the time of the year, etc. Mm -hmm. Well, I would say that uh, no, I, I think that you, I mean, you do suffer together and succeed together. I mean, uh, one thing would be just focusing on you know it's a, a rep in in a track and field workout. So let's say you're doing 200 meter repeats. Um, you know, you've got 200 meters and then you've got three, you know, three minutes or five minutes where you're just, you know, walking back to the next set. I mean, right away, it's, I want to beat the guy next to me, the first rep. 
And then if he beats you in the next rep, okay, I've got to beat him here. So, and, but then right after the rep ends, you're, you're smiling. It's almost like you're doing like a competitive uh, like event or race every single set. So I think you really do feel the suffering and the uh, succeeding together, uh, just even in small reps and small training. So, Right. I think, I think the quality of teammate is, is so important. And, and one thing we wanted to go over today was, um, Reese, you had mentioned like how value, how you personally found so much value in having teammates that push you not even on the court, but just like in life to be a better person and, and how important it is to have like a valuable network of athletes, um, to train together in the off seasons because the off season is a different type of culture in, in its own as well. So for sure. Um, yeah, one of the things I, I and I kind of touched on it before, it's just, you know, the amount of time you spend with your teammates. So it's so key to have that relationship and being able to look at the person next to you and, you know, expect them to, to pick you up when you're not you just don't have it one day. And and I think that, you know, when the when the shoes on the other foot, you know, I had to be or, or my teammates had to be the one to pick up, you know, our teammate that maybe wasn't having the best day. But I think ultimately when you can rely on your teammates to instill that culture and and that work ethic in one another it goes such a long way and that goes in the beyond the court in my sake you know into the classroom walking into acadia in my first year and having teammates who were academic all canadians to look up to and you know and and made it you know obvious that you know being a good student was a a priority and something that was expected on our team Right. And then on your second point there about having a, a great network in the off season, I think you nailed it there because oftentimes when you might not, might not necessarily be, you know, still on campus and you go home for a visit, it's so important to have, you know, a friend group and a, a group of athletes that can, can pick up, you know, what your teammates might've been instilling in you all season and, and be there to push you all summer when you're not on that same in season grind or, you know, strict schedule from your, from your, I guess your coaching staff and your um, strength coaches at school. So to be able to carry that momentum into the summer was huge. And I was lucky to have people like Chris and a number of others who got together in the summers and, you know, a big shout out to Clark Flynn for, you know, pushing us and making us a lot better in a time where a lot of us really made a ton of improvements under his watch. Yeah, I would totally agree. Absolutely. Can I just branch off of that too, with just, um, yeah. just networking and I, I think that when you do play sports or I think to be good at a sport, you have to like it. And the people that tend to like um, specific sports tend to have very similar personalities. So, I mean, immediately when right. you get thrown into track and field for me, I mean, there's like five, five, ten people there that, I mean, we had just extremely similar personalities. I mean, there's one of my, uh, one of my friends who's, whose name is Izzy. I mean, every single day we would, I mean, we'd be training together from, you know, 4.30 until, you know, 6.30. And then right away we would go to campus and spend the next two hours just, you know, having a tea at the campus, uh, the university college. So, you know, it's like four hours you're spending together with a group of people every single day. And the reason that you've been given this opportunity to have people that, you know, have very similar personalities as you is because of the sport. And then obviously like, uh, like Reese touched on, in the summertime, I mean, we would come back and then there's that huge group of us that are all working together as well. So then you have that friend group or that network as well. So, you know, mm-hmm. that type of culture is great um, for building. And then hands. just to, just to add like one last point, um, I think it was, it was pretty cool too, that, you know, we pushed each other 
to be better. But a lot of us were in like very different sports. Like everyone was kind of doing their own thing, but we all had that common goal, which, which was key. And I, and I think, yeah, I think that's really key recent, like a small town too, because we're not going to have 10, co- 10 kids go off and play like NCAA hockey the same year. We're going to have one every three years if we're lucky. So um, for sure. Did you have, do you have anything to add to that before I cut you off there? No, no, that you nailed it. And then one of the other things I wanted to wrap up here was, um, you know, Chris, you were talking about the, the like-mindedness of, of the athletes and within the culture that you kind of were create, talking about. But when you have culture, it's when, it's when the players are holding – or your teammates are holding you accountable and not the coaches because the coaches have to spend so much time when they come into a program creating culture. If it works, awesome, and they have something that works, and then that coach can build that culture and stay there for a long time. Uh, an example would be of like Western football, uh, Coach Marshall. He got his culture in there early, and he's just riding the championship wave now. And now his players have the standards so high that he can just focus on running the football program while the players hold each other accountable because the, the, the players bought into his system, into his culture so immensely. Um, so my next question for you guys, we'll start with Reese. Is, um, Reese, if you were coaching your own team, whether it be basketball or whatever, like what are some of the things you believe in with respect to coaching philosophy and building a culture for success? That's funny you say that because um, I, I probably would take a similar approach right now as I did as a player, right? I mean, I'm so fresh out of the game that that's kind of all I know. But I think from my experiences and from a lot of the great coaches I've had in my, in my life, you know, it's, it's always been about working hard. I think that's the kind of the core of, of what I would preach. Um, you know, I, I think if you if you give your best every single day, there's no there's no way but up. Um, you know, I, I think right. having an open you know communication line with both the the players, the coaches, and and you know player to player, like basically every coach in my life, you know, preached that, and that was something I always enjoyed because you could you could I mean the coaches were in my corner at all times, and uh, you know where people now that I look at as, as friends because of the relationship I had and, 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 you know, and all that we went through when I was a player for them. So um, I'm not probably not the, uh, the most detailed answer, but definitely hard work is, is at the core of everything that, uh, that I would want to preach. For sure. And Chris. Yeah. So I think I'd break it down into, I guess, three kind of main points. One would be the first off, you've got to keep everybody healthy either physically healthy or mentally healthy. The second, which is kind of a subset of the first one, as far as mentally healthy would be just making sure that everybody enjoys the sport and it's not, you know, either overly competitive or um, something that you start uh, not enjoying, or you can tell that somebody's not enjoying going to practice each day. So I don't know exactly. Mm -hmm. It's hypothetical, but let's say it's with younger kids. If you're coaching, you know, high school students or, around that age, you want to make sure that at the end of practice, you're doing, you know, some sort of fun activity that is sneakily making them fast. Uh, like, I don't know, one thing that you could do for track would be, you know, playing something like capture the flag or something like that, where they're still moving mm-hmm. and, you know, you're having fun uh, scrimmaging for basketball, making sure you're doing things like that. And then I think the third thing would be breaking down a training program where you're going to have small incremental changes that are going to make, uh, noticeable improvements, but um, you're not pushing your athletes too quick, too fast, too quickly by you know throwing them to an environment that uh, is going to result in an in injury or 
you know, hating, hating the sport right away. Right. So making sure that it's small inter, incre, incremental changes that are making them better and just like a little bit better every single day rather than, you know, trying to throw them into something they're not ready for. Absolutely. And one of the biggest things, uh, what I should just say, one of the things I learned, uh, during my undergrad was there's a really simple way to monitor. Um, th- there's a saying, most injuries are caused by doing too much too fast after doing too little for too long. Um, and there's a really simple thing called the acute chronic workload ratio where you can just monitor the difference between your chronic and acute fatigue to see if you're in an overtraining or overreaching situation. It's a really simple thing. We don't need to go into it, but um, a lot of schools, especially in, in the States and in D1, they're, they're taking these very like deep scientific principles and implementing it with their athletes all around. And they're doing like a really good job with workload management. And I think that's really a, a, a big step forward in terms of like managing burnout for NCAA athletes, but just athletes in general, the world is, is going that way where we're more conscious about like mental and physical well-being and like the mind body connection. So I think that's great. But uh, Reese, I wanted to ask you if you, if you, I mean, you obviously did, so it's not hypothetical, but um, wh- having left Acadia, what, what do you hope, what do you hope you left there? If you added anything to the culture or if you just help, help pass the culture along? Well, I, I have to give a lot of credit to, to the, as I mentioned, um, to the people who were there when I arrived, because they, I think, as you said, like they would have carried on the culture before them. And they gave me an opportunity to, you know, try and do the same when they left. Um, so to answer your question, you know, I think I would, I would hope that, you know, I would be someone who, who kind of gave it their all well, well within the program. Um, someone who was active in the community and, and, you know, took a lot of pride in, in doing the right thing in the classroom. Um, because I think being a student athlete is a privilege and something that is a 360 degree sort of task with everything that goes into it. And being able to maximize your time in that role was something that I really try to do. And, you know, as I got later in my uh, career there, I really, wanted to soak up every opportunity I had, um, prior to leaving. So I think ultimately, you know, being a good teammate, um, is, is a huge part of that. Cause you can influence people in everything I just spoke about if, if you do. So as a good teammate, um, but that would be the biggest thing. And, and I think as I leave the program, someone who's going to be a supporter for the rest of my life and, and will follow the team and, and have that pride, uh, based on, you know, how great of a time I had when I was an active athlete. Absolutely. And Chris, what about yourself for your, yeah, your time at that, Western? Uh, you know, one thing that I did try to change, and I, I, not that Western was, you know, bad for this in any way, but uh, I wanted to, well, when I took over as captain, one of the main focuses was on first year hazing, uh, just completely, you know, eliminate it. You know, a small thing as an example was like the first years had to put away a lot of the hurdles or stuff like that you know, get rid of that kind of st- stupid stuff and just, you know, make, make everybody feel like they're, they're wanted that there shouldn't be any difference between a first year and a, and a fourth or a fifth year when they get to the program, everybody should be treated equal. So uh, that was one thing that I, I hope has kind of been something that I left behind. And I, I, from what I've gathered, it's, it's kept it that way. And so that would be the, the main thing. Yeah, I mean that's that's definitely the message to send that uh, you know hazing is, is oh, I, definitely I hazing uh, is, one of the I things guess that's it's called hazing. It wasn't really hazing, 
in my first year. It's not like I was hazed, but you uh, know, no, it's like for that, sure. those like it's... small things where it's like, yeah, your first year, you have to put away the hurdles. I guess, you know, as, hey, sounds harsh. I don't know what the other word would be, but yeah. Right. Like you're all, you're, you're all in it together. Yeah, exactly. You wanted exactly. to create that environment that exactly. Okay. I hear what you're saying. Yeah. And that was the same thing. There was, I mean, quote unquote, I don't want to use the word hazing either. Um, but at bishops, like they took away a lot of the, the r- rookie initiation stuff and they just made it fun stuff that brought us together. Like all the rookies have to sing a song publicly at meal hall. It's just, it's just, to bring the team together and towards the end of the training camp, even the veterans are singing. So um, I think that's a, a positive way to, to do the uh, rookie initiation instead of things of the past, but let's leave that there. Um, one of the things we wanted to go over as well is every athlete has a moment or, or I should say 99% of athletes who don't make it to the professional level. Uh, they have a moment when they realize that they're, they got to go to plan B or that life is, there's more to life than just their sport. Um, so Reese, what were some of the things that, that you were pondering, um, when having to make these decisions and like, what did it mean for you to hang it up? Well, I think, um, having a great network, like we talked about earlier with your, within your university really helped. Um, you know, I, I knew that my, my athletic career was coming to an end and I tried to prepare myself in every way I possibly could based on, you know, tapping into every resource at Acadia that was available um, whether it be volunteering or, or trying to, you know, pad my resume with internship opportunities, et cetera. So I think that was on my radar all throughout my last year of university, last year of university. And I think it ultimately prepared me when, you know, the buzzer did sound in my last game that, you know, I was, I was ready to, to take that next step. Um, and, you know, there probably isn't a, well, there isn't a way that it, it, it's supposed to go for everybody. I think once you get out of sport, you got to kind of experience, okay, what's your, you know, what's your new day to day? How are you channeling your passion you had for training and, uh, you know, playing games in a way that's productive and still going to keep you moving forward and, you know, um, have that hunger in your career. So, you know, that was something I, I as soon as I ended, I jumped into, you know, new opportunities, uh, that are, were career focused and in what I wanted to end up doing. And, and that really helped, uh, kind of, you know, ease the transition. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think one of the things being a, a dedicated student athlete does is it gets you ready to be passionate about your work, um, moving away. I, I, I find the student athletes who, like I said, they were dedicated and they, they kind of laid out their plan A and their plan B and then go into the workforce. They're, they're the go-getters. They're the, uh, Reese, you had mentioned you looked for opportunities um, within Acadia to get involved in volunteer and internships in the community and, and all those wonderful things. Um, one of the things I've been able to do with the network at Bishops this summer is um, obviously none of the university students are going to be able to get jobs during this pandemic. So I created an internship for Bishops University students in marketing and sports studies to um, just to get professional marketing experience. So um, if you're a student athlete, like you have to understand if you choose the right school, there's so much more value to you than, than just the sport they provide the education, but also the, the, there's different councils and things you can get involved with to, to pad your resume and, and to build that professional network moving forward. Chris, did yeah, you have anything to add to that? There was really a moment that I was like, Oh, I guess this is the end of my track career. I, I, I pretty much knew going into to track in my first year that once I finished that Western, that was going to be the end of it. I think that, uh, I mean, I was, pretty shocked when I got my, they, 
an email from uh, a university saying that they were interested in having me compete. It didn't even like click until my grade 11 or grade 12 year that I could actually, you know, keep doing track into university. So I feel like I was just, uh, you know, I was, I was lucky enough to actually just keep doing it. Uh, but I think this, you're, I think you're, the you're a humble guy, Chris. I think the structure you're a very guy. was uh, of going from us like competing every single day and training every day, sorry, training every single day to then, you know, being thrown in, where you have literally no structure. You don't have to work out because there's no reason to. So I think it's kind of finding, finding your groove after and, and realizing that you, you want to, you know, work out and stay in shape because you like it uh, rather than for a specific sport. And I can take a little bit. Risa, do you have any problem, you know, switching off from, you know, being so dedicated to really having, you know, no sport there? Well, I'm, I'm kind of in the same boat as you that, you know, I think exercise is like a big part of my life. And I, I, I really, I mean, I, it's a daily routine for me and, you know, it's, yeah, it's tough sometimes when you're watching, um, you know, basketball games, whether, especially, you know, come March playoffs and it's like, oh, it'd be amazing to be out there. But I don't know about you, Chris, but I've had like a blast sort of playing other sports now too, that I haven't really had the chance to since I specialized and, it's kind of like you're reliving your childhood a bit when you're out playing in mm-hmm. touch football or, you know, pickup games of, of whatever sport it is. So that's been kind of fun to be honest. Yeah, and yeah. Well, I played in, I played some intramural basketball this year and I forgot how much I liked basketball. There you go. And I can, yeah, same over here. I started playing men's league basketball and it's, it's been an absolute hoot to not take a sport that seriously and just be able to play like a kid again, because I mean, one of the things, elite sports can do. And Chris, you've talked about this on the podcast before. It's like, you put so you put too much pressure on yourself and you become so singularly focused and it's just a recipe to, to, to stressing yourself out. And it's not a f- effective way to uh, move forward as an athlete. But uh, I wanted to just, uh, before we wrap up here, do you guys have any final, final words uh, about creating culture and just passing it forward to the next generation? Reese? Well, I think, yeah, I think, I mean, I think you like whenever my approach to, you know, contributing to a team environment or culture, you know, growing up or, or even at university was just, you know, being a good teammate and picking up your teammates around you. Um, you know, I think I was probably more of a lead by example player uh, as opposed mm-hmm. to uh, being super vocal. And that really, you know, I think, I think it helped my, evolution as a player because you know I had the had teammates next to me that were at times following my lead during the end of my career and and I certainly followed the lead of of others early on in my career so I think that would be my sort of message is just I think I said this last time but just always be a great teammate and and be someone that your teammates can rely on yeah and yeah for sure I I think Chris you know you're exactly right you know try to be try to be a good teammate and if you feel that there's something negative that's affecting either your teammates or yourself you've got to you know say something or stand up for what you think will help create a better culture absolutely it's all about culture uh reese and chris i want to thank you guys for your time this was season two episode eight of athletic insights we're out thanks zach